0: We've come to the Gospel of John and chapter 7. And though we're not going to cover the, the entire chapter, there, there, there is a section of this chapter that we really need to take a look at. But the reality is, until we come to understand the setting in which this Gospel was written, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 7, what we see is the occurrence in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ until we have some background, we are never going to understand what Christ teaches, not only about Himself, His revelation that He gives His people during a particular feast day in the Jewish calendar, but also what He tells us about us. What He reveals about His desire would be in and through His church as He would continue to live through us. So the Gospel of John in chapter 7 takes place at a particular feast celebration in the liturgical worship cycle of the old covenant people of God, the Hebrews. Okay, Many of you remember that just like we have a liturgical cycle going through the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the focus? Everything that He did for us at every stage of life was for our salvation. And so we go through our liturgical calendar from from the the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and I could go on and on through the whole life of Christ culminating in Holy Week and Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and... All of this cycle, it has to do with what God did for us through Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, they did have liturgical feasts mandated by God in Exodus and Leviticus. Spelled out that you are to remember what I've done for you. Because God had delivered them. And every one of their feast days was a remembrance, just like we do today, with the exception of the fact that we are now filled with the Holy Spirit and can gain grace in the experience of Him. You see, but the cycle was the same, what God had done or continued to do for his people. And unless we understand the feast day that Jesus presents himself at, we cannot possibly begin to scrape the surface of what Jesus reveals about himself on this particular feast. Okay, so I want to remind you just very quickly in the Jewish Hebrew liturgical calendar, there were seven main feast days. There are a bunch of minor ones, but there were seven main feast days throughout the year. I'm briefly going to go through them, what it was and what it remembered, okay? And we'll come upon the one we're dealing with today. Of course, we know of the Feast of Passover, right? Christ our Passover sacrifice for us in the New Testament. But in the Passover, it was the feast day, a major feast day, where they would celebrate and remember Israel's deliverance from their captive their person, the one that had them in bondage, Pharaoh. And all that he did. In conjunction with that feast day, there was another major feast day called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is having released Israel from bondage. God calls them by the giving of the law to come out from among all people and become a holy people. A people separated from them. And what in the Old Testament did leaven represent? Remember? Sin. Leaven represented sin. And so they did unleavened bread. Why? When they baked the bread using unleavened bread, it was the remembrance that God called us to be without sin. That we are to grow, flourish, to become a people that were wholly separated unto Him. Yet another feast at a separate time called the Feast of Firstfruits. The Feast of First Fruits, it celebrated the bounty that God would promise to provide and indeed would provide in the Promised Land. So even when they got into the Promised Land, out of their wilderness journey, it was a celebration of the abundance of all that God had provided for them, every need for them provided. Then you have the Feast of Pentecost. Now, we're familiar with that from a Christian perspective. The Feast of Pentecost was was 50 days, of course, is what Pentecost means. And it remembers that God gave, met with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, gave him the law 50 days after they crossed through the Red Sea into their freedom. And it celebrated the giving of the law. And it would be celebrated by offering... The first fruits of the entire wheat harvest that year. Now now put that together looking ahead. So it celebrated the law being given to, to Moses 50 days after they crossed through the Red Sea. Passed through water to their freedom. And they celebrated it with the first fruits of the harvest. What would happen on Pentecost? On Pentecost, God would fill them with their law. No longer meet with one person on the mountain. But by the Holy Spirit, the law would dwell in us, within us. He would place it in us. And then what was, what was to celebrate that day? The first fruits of the harvest of the church. Thousands would be saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit crossing through water into their freedom. This is how God would fulfill the Feast of Pentecost. But the Feast of Pentecost was an Old Testament feast. Then you had the Feast of Trumpets. You may know it better. You've probably heard of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, you may have heard that term in, in the Jewish circles. It's the Feast of Trumpets. It celebrated God gathering His people and making covenant with them that they would be His people and He would be their God. It celebrated God who would covenant with them to be one. Then you have the feast day of the atonement, which we talked extensively about in a past series that we did, which was the sacrifice by the priest, the blood sacrifice by the priest to cover his sins and the sins of all the Israel. You may remember that there were two goats that would be presented. One would be sacrificed to cover the sins. The other goat was the scapegoat, the goat that would be marched through the people, And out of the city until they couldn't see the beast anymore. And then he'd be set free. And it was the picture that God not only covers our sins, but what does he do with them? He casts them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. This is who God is and he's telling his people. So on the day of atonement they would experience this, they would see this and come to know him as that God. And then finally the seventh feast, which is the one we deal with today, is the feast of tabernacles. Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Tabernacles went on for seven days. It was a seven day major hugely celebratory feast in Jerusalem. And everyone would come in for it. It was the celebration of God's provision for His people for the fruit of the land. We already celebrated the first fruits of the harvest, the wheat. This is the celebration of the fruit of the vine that God would provide. Was was a, it was a uh, emphasis in the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, it would go seven days. And it's this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, that concerns us regarding the, regarding the Gospel of St. John chapter 7. We find Jesus, as a Hebrew, being obedient to what God had commanded, His Father had commanded. He is in Jerusalem, present for the seven-day celebration of this feast, when we hear the narrative of this chapter. But before we get into the narrative, I've got to tell you, I, there is going to be a time, I'm not promising when, but there's going to be a time where I may take every one of these feasts And describe as part of a Sunday school. And describe exactly what the priest and the people would do. In all of these Old Testament feasts. Because in every one of them you will see the very fingerprints of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. In and through every Old Covenant feast. Some like to say that in the Old Covenant feast Jesus is concealed in the New Testament. He's fully revealed. Okay. But today... I did delve in for this one. I did delve into the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason I did that is, again, we can't understand what Jesus is saying about Himself and about us unless we look at this feast and then what He proclaims about Himself. So I'm going to read to you some things that I've copied straight from actually Hebrew records and Scripture okay, that summarize what the priest would do What did God command the priest to do in the Feast of Tabernacles? Okay? So listen up. Now when I read these things, I want you to give an ear for us looking back. And I want you to see if you can see how what the priests did and what the people were doing is reflected either in the life or the finished work of Jesus Christ. I think you're going to find it very clear. And pretty amazing. Remember, this is... is, So long before Christ that God ordained these feasts because He knew what would happen. So here you go. On the third day of the seven-day feast was the rite of the water offering. On the first morning of the Feast of Tabernacles, a procession of priests went down to the pool of Siloam. To bring up to the temple a golden container of water sufficient to last the whole seven days. So they march all the way down to the pool of Siloam, fill this huge container of water, and carry it back up into the temple. The water was brought up with great ceremony. The shofar, which was a trumpet kind of like shofar so good you know that it was a trumpet no it does not sound at all like that actually right the trump- but it was a trumpet blast that would sound the shofar would sound it was blown it was blown and the pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the feast guess what they did while the water was processed to the temple they waved palm branches They were to wave dried palm branches of the trees as the priest carried the water to and around the altar. And then they would chant a particular section of the psalms. Psalm 113 to 118. It was known as the great Hallel. This is where we get the word Hallelujah from, right? Which you can't say in Lent, but I do it here. Okay, the great Hallel. And, and Psalm 113 to 118 were these beautiful psalms praising God for His deliverance of His people. So I'm just going to pause for a second and let you gather your thought. Here comes this water, huge, huge thing of water carried by all the priests into, through Jerusalem, up to the temple, into the temple, and the people are waving palm branches and chanting of their deliverance. Then the priest on duty, listen to this, then the priest on duty took water in one container from the water that they had drawn from the pool of Siloam and an already prepared water of a completely different substance. Want to guess what it is? Wine. The priest would take water and wine and He would pour it upon the altar. And when He would pour it upon the altar, it would run down the altar, and as much as could would run towards the people, because it was downhill. Get the picture? We'll talk about it more further in a minute, but I have to get to the last day of the feast, because it continues. On the last day, the seventh day of the feast... The water offering, right, it reached its climax. This was the pinnacle of what God had them do. The priests circled the altar seven times, and then they poured out the water with great pomp and circumstance, we're told. It's a great celebration. They poured out this entire water basin, a water uh, container, onto the altar, and it was done to the resounding words from the people of the great. Hosanna. And the word Hosanna, what does it mean? Save us now. And that water, so much water, would be poured onto the altar. It was carried through uh, little tracks that they had. It would not only go down through the people, but out of the temple proper, down the hill, and even out of Jerusalem. The water would begin at the altar, would flow through the people and would end up outside of Jerusalem. And this is what would be done on this feast of tabernacles that we're talking about. Now, knowing about this celebration, let's see how Christ chooses to reveal Himself right in the midst to those present for this feast. I'm going to read to you what I handed out to you. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and then 37 through 41. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. On the last day of the feast, of that great day of the feast. Now, remember, what happens on the last day of the feast? All of the water is poured out out with great celebration. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spake concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. What is Jesus doing? He's saying everything you've seen here. That water you see poured out. I am that I am the fulfillment of that and I will pour myself by my holy Spirit out in this same manner for the salvation of man. So let's take a look even more specifically. based on what I told you about what the priest would do at the Feast of Tabernacles, take day three they go and get the water, And when they processed the water from the pool of Siloam back to the temple and around the altar, what did I tell you the people were doing? Waving palm branches and crying out the Psalms of Deliverance. What is this? What do you see? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Christ entering into Jerusalem and making his way to the temple. And they're waving palms. They're waving palms. On that same day, on the third day, the priest takes the water, container of water and a big container of wine, and together he pours them onto the altar. What are we seeing? Connections of consecration. What happens to Jesus? He what? Christ's death. Christ's death, his sacrifice on the cross. What would happen when he dies and they pierce his side? Water. blood and water flow showing that he had died as part of his finished work for us on the last day the priest takes this huge amount of water and pours it upon the altar so much so that it flows through the people outside of the temple down the hills of Jerusalem out the city through these tracks what is that Washington Okay, I like that. Okay, washing away our sins. Baptism. Baptism. The Spirit, Pen- huh? the Holy Spirit coming to us? When? At when the, would the Holy Spirit be poured out? After Christ died and... Right, at Pentecost. At Pentecost, right? At Pentecost. We have many prophecies that talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as water. And we'll look at those in, in just a minute. What we are seeing... Yes, Stephanie, I'm sorry. What was it? Any idea? What's that? How much water? I can't tell you the exact amount. We don't know the exact size of this big container that poured onto the altar. It was a lot. And I, I would imagine, based on some of the descriptions that I've seen, that it kept pouring. That they would pour and, and, and they would they would just have to keep doing it until it was done. Not regathering water. They had a huge amount of water to last for the amount. But it was enough evidently to do that. Because that's the description of the scene in Jerusalem by those I don't that... How big the thing actually was. Don't know. I, re- I wish I could tell you I don't. And we have no measurements in scripture. They were just told what to do, and that's what the water would do. And we know Jerusalem was pretty big. Jerusalem's actually not that big. No, it's not. It's really, I have no. Uh, in fact, um, I was in Jerusalem in 1997. Some of you, uh, some others, have been in Jerusalem. And I grew up in I grew up in New Orleans. And uh, the French Quarter in New Orleans is probably some eight to ten blocks in total. If you really look at the French Quarter, old Jerusalem was no bigger than the French Quarter which really shocks a lot of people. We think of it as some big city at this time. It was a grand city, but the size of it on Mount Moriah, uh, inside, now we're talking inside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, were we're eight to ten blocks spans. Okay? So yeah, we're not talking about it going all the way through New York City. Right? Um, And we're also talking about a lot of downhill, you know, from where the temple was. So, What we're seeing at the Feast of Tabernacle is pointed, foreshadowed for for us. And God was doing this. Foreshadowed the finished work of Jesus Christ from His entrance into Jerusalem to His sacrifice poured out after His raising from the dead and ascension, the Holy Spirit being poured out for mankind. This is what we have when Jesus is there. And then Jesus says this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. In other words, I am the source of living water. Everything he stands up, picture it. If you want to, you can just use a little bit of thinking and go, as they're pouring the water, Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I am the source of this. Okay, Come to me, those who are thirsty, and you'll thirst no more. By my sacrifice on the cross, by my death, by my descending into Hades, being raised from the dead, by ascending into heaven and pouring out my spirit, I will fill them with myself. And through them will flow this same living water. I will offer it through my people for the life and salvation of all. Let me read to you the words of St. Cyril of Jerusalem on this statement that Jesus makes. He teaches, we drink of living water springing up into everlasting life. But this is what the Savior said of the Spirit. Which who, those who believe on Him should receive. For observe what He says, He who believes on me. And why did He call the grace of the Spirit water? Because by water all things live. Think about that. How much of our body is made up of water? Such a high percentage. Water is a necessity of life. That's what he's saying. And so he goes on. The Holy Spirit also being one and of one nature and indivisible. Distributes to each his grace as he wills. And as the dry tree after being nourished with water. Puts forth shoots. So also the soul in sin. When it has been through repentance made worthy of the Holy Spirit. Brings forth clusters of righteousness and though he is one nature yet many are the virtues that he instructs in us by the will of God and in the name of Christ in other words this water the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about that he will pour out to us and for us it <laughs> lifes us We who are dried, we who are in our sin, it brings us to life again, just like a dry plant that you start watering all of a sudden and starts going from brown to green, starts springing up shoots. This is how St. Cyril of Jerusalem is speaking of what Jesus is saying. We see this image, by the way, I mentioned to you a minute ago, there are a number of prophecies. We see this image very clearly in a number of scriptures. Christ is the source of living water bringing us to life again, regarding prophecies of Pentecost, uh, where we see the the bestower of life, Christ bringing us all back to life in him. Ezekiel 47, I'll summarize it. I won't read it. It's a long and beautiful, beautiful prophecy of how the Spirit of God brings life back to the dead. Here's the summary. God takes Ezekiel to the doors of the temple in a vision. And Ezekiel sees water flowing from the temple doors and down into the land. The very picture of what God had them do at the Feast of Tabernacles. He sees water flowing under the temple door out into the land. And everywhere the water goes in the vision. Everything in creation. And it's a picture of everything being dead. Picture wilderness, picture barrenness, picture a lot of brown. Right? Everywhere the water goes, everything creation is touched by this water is immediately begins to be healed and it begins to be restored. The water, the land, all life finds healing from the living waters that were poured out. Okay? And then in Revelation 22, at the end of all time, the same gospel writer who wrote this gospel, St. John, receives the revelation. And in there we have this same picture. It comes from Revelation chapter 22. St. John says, And God showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were given for the healing of the nations. So now we not only in Revelation have the outpouring of the water, which we know is the Holy Spirit, bringing everything back to life, but now we see the church in the picture. The church is this tree that bears how many fruit? Twelve. What are the twelve? It's twelve fruit. Jesus is the tree. The twelve are the apostles. And all the leaves that come, they're the church. Every living stone. And it says everywhere that those leaves were given for the healing of the land. We're going to get back to that thought in just a minute. Just a minute. We sing about the truth that Jesus is saying about Himself that we see in Revelation and all the things we've seen prefigured in the Old Testament. We sing about this truth during Eastertide, from Pascha all the way leading up to Pentecost, where we no longer sing the, uh, uh, the Asperges, Thou shalt purge me with hyssop. We sing something different during that one se- uh, season. We sing this, I beheld water that proceeded from the temple on the right side thereof, And all they to whom that water came were what? Healed. Everyone. We sing it. Very intentionally. Christ has died. Christ is risen. We're waiting for Pentecost. We sing of Pentecost. The water poured out for us. So let me ask your thoughts on something. Jesus says, He not only says, I'm the living water. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What does that mean to you? We're supposed to go forth and spread the word. What is it that, what's in us, living water, and not just drops. Out of us will flow What? Rivers of living water, but what is okay? You're correct. So how does this look? What does this look like? In your thoughts, no right or wrong answer. I know it's. I'm pulling the question on you. What does that look like? The river, r- living waters flow. Rivers of living water flow Abundance. through Abundance. us, huh? Abundance. 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 You'll have more new growth. You'll have increase of people. You'll have increase in faith. Increase in faith, increase in belief. Good. What came out of Christ during His life on the earth? Hmm? What came? What did? What? What? What came from Christ? What did people experience through Christ? Healing. Healing. Knowledge. 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 Their blind eyes opened to truths. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Proceeded forth from Christ. Peace. Peace. Peace be with you. we would say yes. Mercy. Mercy. Grace. Grace. Deliverance? How many times would he command Satan or or the demonic out of those who were under captivity? Certainly miracles, you know. There's no question. Jesus says, I am this, but he says out of you will flow rivers of it. We need to lock on again. And I always, I always feel compelled because I am constantly compelled to be stretched in this way. To get beyond our limited thinking of the absolute truth of the plan and desire of God through his people. Did Jesus not say in the revelation to John. Christ the tree, the twelve apostles, the twelve fruit born, all the leaves were given. All the leaves were given for the healing of the nations. You're a leaf. I'm a leaf. It is good for us in relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good for us to look inward into our soul and allow God to constantly... Bring us to that blessed and freeing repentance that makes us like Him. Where we, we, we respond to Him and we receive and experience His incredible mercy beyond our offenses. And we get grace and power to overcome those deficiencies and grow in His virtues. All the mercy, all these other things, these are the virtues of Christ that are being grown in us by this living water that's inside of us. And we must focus on that. But at the same time, my friends, part of our salvation, by the design of God, part of our salvation is our allowing ourselves to become like Christ in the way He allowed Himself to be used of God. And no one person in this room and no one person in Christ's holy church will be used of God in the same way or even the same way all the time in their own life. But the real truth is, if we are the leaves for the healing of the nations that God has showed in Revelation. So at the end of all time, remember the picture of the end of all time, are the ones who are with him for eternity. The leaves that were used for the healing of the nations. Those who received the living water into their life and allowed Christ to spring them back to life. And at the same time as they spring back to life, they become life offerers, life bearers, life deliverers to those around us. And I'm telling you right now, if you look at those around you outside of the church and you really think about their lives, they are dead, they are brown, they are wilting. And they are in need of the living water that Jesus Christ proclaims himself to be. In the Gospel of St. John in chapter 7. And it's not about your personality. It's not about being an introvert and extrovert. Being shy or bold. It is about being available. It is about saying, just like Isaiah who when his lips were touched with the coal in his vision... When God said, who will go forth for me? Who will be my mouth? Who will be my voice? All He said was, Lord, send me. He didn't prescribe, Lord, send me like this. He said, Lord, send me. And God did. And He would be the mouthpiece. Every one of us in the church, and the church as a whole, the church as a whole, I want you to see, as, is as a megaphone proclaiming the life of Christ in and through it. But the church is made up of all of us living stones, who by the design and desire of God. Just as Jesus said, I'm the water of life, he said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned to the church and said, What? You're the light of the world. I'm the living water, I've given it to you, out of you will flow rivers of it, if you'll let me. And I can tell you, and anybody in this room would testify, that those of you who have allowed yourselves at various times to be used of God for the help of any, you know the experience of God there is salvific to your own soul. I can testify to that so many times. Any of those times that I have availed myself for use, and I'm talking about before I was a priest. When you experience Christ doing something through you, it grows and deepens your faith. It grows and deepens your love for Him because you experience the love He has through you for another. And it's very, very real. The Feast of Tabernacles showed the whole Holy Week. Prefigured it. was a shadow of it, a foreshadowing of it. Jesus stands up at the tail end of it and says, all of this, it's me. And I offer myself to you and I will give you my Holy Spirit. And everywhere that water runs, there will be life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.